Good afternoon again. Thanks for joining us on Labor Day weekend. In case you're new with us, I'm John Wells and I'm an elder here at Grace Fellowship. I know I said this in July when I preached, but it's really an honor to be up here. Um, Thank you for giving me this opportunity and for hearing me. For those of you who've been with us all summer, it might be hard to believe, but today actually marks the 12th week of our rotation of summer preachers. So on behalf of the elders, I would like to thank you for your graciousness and your attentiveness that you've displayed all summer. When Joel left for sabbatical, it would have been really easy to check out and take the summer off. Instead, you've remained committed and plugged in. We also just want to thank you for your encouragement that, you've, that you have provided us. We were all a little apprehensive about preaching twice this summer, but it's been a joy for us. The Lord has taught us much, and you have been such a blessing. Today also marks the final week of our summer sermon series in the Psalms. You never have to hear that again until next summer, (laughs) unless Busby preaches on a psalm next week. I don't really know. Our survey of David's psalms began in Psalm 3, David's first in the book of the Psalms. And today we'll book in the series with David's last, Psalm 145. Psalm 145 has a fairly complex structure, so before we get into the text, I wanted to highlight a few elements that might make it a little bit easier for you as you read or listen along. Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise, and these psalms typically contain three key elements. The first is a call to praise. The second is a catalog of the praiseworthy acts of God. And then the third is a final wish. In this particular psalm, we're actually going to see the first and the second elements repeat themselves before we move into the final wish. So we will see a call to praise in verses 1 and 2, and then again in verse 10. In verses 3 through 9, and then verses 11 to 20, David will catalog the praiseworthy acts of God. And then finally in verse 21, we'll have David's wish. David's choice to repeat elements one and two is important because it elevates the declarer of praise from the individual to the whole community of saints and then to all of creation. And it is essential to reach that final state because it is the very nature of creation to reflect and bring praise to God. David, in his wisdom, expresses the very truth that Jesus declares in the Gospel of Luke upon his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. As the multitudes of disciples rejoiced and sang praises to Jesus, the Pharisees admonished him and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. To which Jesus responded, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, when we are overcome with the glory of the Lord, we cannot help but declare praise to God. All creation brings praise to its creator. With this in mind, listen with me and hear God's word. Great is the Lord, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. 
One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, all to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Dear Lord, this afternoon, we ask that the Spirit come and go before the words I'm about to preach. Please open our hearts and minds to the message that you intend to share. I ask that the words that I prepared be a vessel for you to teach us. Reveal to us the truths about your very nature. Stir in our hearts a desire to draw closer to you and a longing to praise you for your acts of mercy and goodness in our lives. Remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and the grace available to us. Amen. So over the summer, several of you have mentioned to me just how much you appreciate learning about the backstory of each Sunday's particular psalm. It helps provide context so you can better understand David's words. So I thought we should pause and reflect on what the scholars know about Psalm 145. Unfortunately, this is not a psalm that ties back to a specific event in David's life. Some scholars believe that it was written towards the end of his life, cataloging all that the Lord had taught him. But there's no conclusive evidence of this. So what do we know? As I mentioned earlier, it's a psalm of praise. In fact, it is the only psalm that's designated as a song of praise. And while David wrote other psalms of praise, scholars have referred to 145 as his doxology and his Lord's Prayer. The second thing we know is that the psalm appears in the Jewish prayer book more than any other psalm. In fact, some Jewish teachings suggest that Psalm 145 should be recited three times a day. 
So if the Hebrew tradition assigns such significance to what we glean from meditating on Psalm 145, I think at the very least we can conclude that it's important. And we also know that the psalm has an acrostic structure, meaning that each line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And from this we can conclude that David wrote and structured the psalm with great care and intentionality. Psalm 145 is one of exuberant and uninhibited praise to God. As we saw in verse 21, the last verse, David implores all creation to sing praises to God. If it were possible, David would have praised God with every word in the Hebrew language. Instead, he structured this psalm so that the entire alphabet, the source of all words, is marshaled in praise to God. So with that theme in mind, let's look at our two calls to praise. Verses 1 and 2, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And then verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. In these verses, David uses a trio of words, extol, bless, and praise, to state that he will enthusiastically express gratitude to God and declare the Lord's worth over and over, forever and ever. David is also very strategic in his use of pronouns in these verses. His choice of the pronouns I and all invite the singer and the reciter of the psalm to commit to a similar posture of praise. As we read these verses, Especially as we read them aloud, his words become our words, his declarations our declarations, his call to praise transforms into our commitment to praise. But why does David praise God? I've been reflecting on this psalm for a few weeks now, and I keep coming back to this question. At face value, it does not make sense. Over the summer, I know we keep mentioning David's life and the challenges that he faced, but let's reflect on these events one one more time. Early in his life, David was a shepherd. He was poor and alone in the wilderness. He was anointed king while there was still another king. As soon as he found comfort in Saul's palace as a musician, he was forced to flee due to Saul's jealous rage. Saul pursued him wanted him dead. David lived alone in the wilderness. He took up residence amongst the Philistines, the people whose greatest warrior he had killed. His closest friend and confidant, Jonathan, is killed in battle by those very Philistines, the people that David looked to for safety during his exile. He becomes king, and his heart's desire is to build a temple to the Lord. But Nathan tells him no, but that will be the next king's responsibility. He commits adultery. He murders Uriah. His son with Bathsheba dies. Another son, Absalom, becomes power hungry and attempts a coup. And David flees and lives in the wilderness again. When he's restored to his throne, his sin brings three years of famine to Israel. And then finally, at the end of his life, 
another one of his sons, Adoniah, tries to seize his throne. So how can David write a song of praise? Where does he find the fortitude to say, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. How, in the face of such adversity, can David be so intent on praising the Lord? Let's direct this closer to home. Why should we praise God? At our elder meeting this past Monday, we sat around the conference table eating dinner, and the other elders asked me how my sermon prep was coming. And my response to them was akin to, how do I preach on a psalm that's nothing but unfettered praise to God when I don't feel like praising God? Sadly, that's been my heart's posture. There are times in my walk with the Lord that I'm overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world. My own sinfulness, my anxieties. It's been a hard season. I think this is like the third time I've cried up here this summer, so obviously. Just off the top of my head, thinking about relationships outside of this church, actually outside of the city, Elaine and I know people who are walking through infertility, depression, grief, cancer, job loss, loneliness, family relational issues, and I'm sure there's more. You look at the news, and you just see calamity after calamity. Natural disasters, terrorism, disease, and death. I would even say death to an extent that it doesn't register in our brains anymore. And recently, personally, I've faced increased stress at work, followed by disappointment. A realization that maybe I put too much stock and found too much self-worth in a job. And even a realization that maybe I don't have this whole church leadership thing figured out. I'm just a sinner. Am I alone in this, thinking it's a hard season? Does this resonate with you at all? So why should I praise God? Why should we praise God? And if you happen to be like me and you're finding yourself asking these very questions, saddened and frustrated with our broken world, let's be encouraged this afternoon. Because David was very intentional with his structure of this psalm. In verses 3 through 9 and 11 through 20, David catalogs the praiseworthy acts of God. But he also weaves into these three verses, or into these verses, three reminders, helpful hints to ground us in our commitment to praise and rekindle our desire to praise God. First, David reminds us to declare the greatness of God. Next, David encourages us to reflect on God's mercy and steadfast love. And finally, 
David asks for us to remember God's good works in our lives. So first, declare the greatness of God. After David calls us to praise, his very next words declare the greatness of God. Look with me again at verses 3 through 6. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then, at the end in verse 6, they speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Last summer, I, we preached through Proverbs, and in my, in my sermon, I spoke on the power of our words and how words have an intrinsic ability to stir one's heart and one's emotional response. The act of declaring words of gossip, hate, or folly lead your heart to a deeper state of wickedness, while the acts of declaring words of love and gentleness and wisdom lead your heart closer to unity with others and with the Lord. And it is for this very reason I suggest to you that declaring the greatness of God is important. By engaging in the simple discipline of praising God, we stir up a response through which our heart desires to praise God more abundantly. C.S. Lewis summarized this well in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. In that book he wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. At our first talk back in June, Zach Hicks talked about liturgy and worship. In particular, he addressed the intentionality of our service structure to lift our heads upwards towards God. During his talk, he briefly discussed spiritual disciplines and the role they play in our lives. One example he gave was that of a well-worn hiking trail and how it compares to spiritual disciplines. He asked us to close our eyes and to imagine ourselves hiking up a mountain and becoming surrounded by fog so dense that you cannot see the way. But the trail is so well-worn that it serves as our guide when our eyes are unable to discern the way forward. Similarly, our spiritual disciplines can serve as a well-worn trail for our heart and soul. When we are lost and cannot find the way forward, our disciplines of prayer, study, meditating on the word, engaging in community, and praising our God will serve as our trail until we break out of the clouds and once again stand in awe of our Lord. Our second reminder this afternoon is to reflect on God's mercy for his compassion in action and his steadfast love, said another way, resolute and unwavering love. In verses 8 and 9, David states, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Sometimes I wonder if the concept of God's steadfast love is easier to grasp outside of the developed Western world. As a culture, we largely do not need to rely on God's unwavering love for us. So many of our cultural constructs build up an importance of the self, the individual, and we are largely encouraged to suppress and maybe even forget our hardships. 
to keep moving forwards. But this is quite opposite of ancient Israel. Israel's story was defined by a covenant with God. They are a people who knew God apart. They are people who never knew God apart from his compassion and grace. God continually redeemed them out of bondage and called them his treasured possessions. As they reflected on their past, it was easy to identify example after example of God's mercy and steadfast love. When we see David reflect on these moments, we see David reflect on these moments several times throughout the Psalms. We saw this in Psalm 3 and Psalm 13 that we preached on earlier this summer. And in both of those, David had a surety of his tone and used the past tense. In Psalm 3 5, David stated, I lay down and slept. I woke again, and the Lord sustained me. And in Psalm 13, 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There is no doubt in David's mind. He is so sure of the Lord because he has experienced his mercy and his steadfast love. So I would encourage you to reflect on your past and identify specific examples of God's mercy and steadfast love in your life. For me, one example is my job here in Birmingham. And I know that sounds trivial, but in hindsight, it was clearly the work of the Lord. It was his mercy and unwavering love for us. In Atlanta, Elaine and I did not have community. And we needed community to grieve the loss of her dad. But the Lord was compassionate and he blessed us with the move to Birmingham and blessed us with a close-knit community a couple years prior to that event happening. Examples of these should leave us in awe of the omniscience and omnipotence of the Lord. The right response to that is to praise. Our final reminder this afternoon is to remember God's work in our life. In verses 13 to 20, we see David reflect on God's specific acts of goodness displayed in Israel's history. He praises God for interceding and for sustaining. Let's look at these verses in more detail. Verse 14, David reflects on God's helping hand. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Josh actually talked about this last Sunday. Because of because of God's omnipotence, he actively holds up the world. Verses 15 and 16 demonstrate God's provision. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness, and God providing manna every morning for their nourishment. In verses 18 and 19, David remembers that God listens and answers prayers. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. This ties back to the shepherd imagery in Psalm 23, where we see the Lord carefully watching over and caring for his flock. This theme is also frequently seen throughout the prophets. The Lord hears his people call out for mercy, and he saves them time and again. And then finally, in verse 20, David speaks to God's protection. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. 
This is a reflection on the truth of Psalm 27, that God is our ultimate refuge and stronghold. We should also find great hope in the fact that our God is just, and that in the last days, his victory over death will be full and final. Remember, goodness is the very nature of God. Just as water is wet or fire is hot, God is good. We sing praises to God for his goodness because it is not changeable or diminishing. One of the commentaries I read said, David's passion to praise the Lord was independent of his ascetic sensibilities or his acoustical preferences. His unstoppable praise was not rooted in personality, profession, or performance. The reason nothing got in the way of his worship was because it was grounded in the Lord's mighty acts and abundant goodness. David found no reason in himself to praise the Lord. He did not look within. He looked up to the Lord. When we look back on our past, be it a time of abundant blessing or hurt or even struggle, we should be hopeful because we should see the imprint of God working all things together, sustaining us. Our response should be to look up to the Lord. Praise God. So when we turn on the news and see calamity after calamity, we remember that God is both all-knowing and all-powerful. He is actively sustaining the world and has a grand plan. Praise God. When we are lonely, in despair, or depressed, we remember that the Lord listens to our prayers and hears us, even in the quiet darkness. His love is steadfast and unwavering. Praise God. When we feel like the enemy is winning, when we remember that the Lord is our shelter, and his shelter, and in his shelter, we have zero worries. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In verse 21, David prays, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You see, our hope and assurance that the Lord is merciful, that his love is unwavering, and that his goodness will not diminish. And David's wish that all creation bless the name of the Lord forever and ever is manifested in the person and work of Jesus. During his earthly ministry, we saw Jesus offer a Samaritan woman living water, water that would quench her thirst for eternity. We saw Jesus heal and bring honor to the lepers, the crippled, those cast out from society. We see Jesus redeem a tax collector who humbled himself and called out for mercy. At the cross, we see Jesus display steadfast love to its fullest extent. His love was so resolute and unwavering that he gave his own life. It is by his shed blood that sins can be forgiven and that grace abounds. And through the resurrection, we see Jesus defeat death. And this is why we fix our eyes heavenward and sing praises to God. And this is why in Revelation, we see all creation, all living creatures, all humans, and all angels sing praises to God. And this is why Jesus says in Luke that even the stones will cry out in praise. When we pause, 
and reflect. Our only response is to praise God. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge this afternoon that all glory and honor and praise should be directed to you. But we are mere sinners. Our natural inclination is to look inward and not upward. And because of that, we thank you for Psalm 145. Let it serve as a reminder and an encouragement of your mercy, goodness, and grace. May our hearts be rooted in these truths. Transform us into men and women who long for you. May our heart's desire be to walk with you and to bring glory and praise to you. Amen.